You've been listening to our podcast, Getting Educated, Regulating Your Emotional Reactions, and it's been really helpful. Yet you know you could do better, be better, and you're wanting and needing more support. That's where our coaching service is a game changer. We're here for you when you need us the most, ensuring you have all the tools and resources at your fingertips, guiding and supporting you to be more effective. Our free rapid relief call helps you gain a broader perspective, commit to your best next steps, and determine what coaching support is right for you. Visit rapidreliefcall.com to book your call today. Welcome to the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast, where we invite you into a journey of healing and personal transformation that will radically change your divorce experience, heal your heart while refining your character, and set you up to be effective and feel empowered as you navigate the practical and emotional challenges of divorce. I'm your host, Karen McMahon, founder of Journey Beyond Divorce. My divorce brought me to my knees and it also transformed me and set me on this path to help you. When does alienation start? It's not always at divorce. There are different triggers that take place. And so you have to be aware of who you're dealing with and how things are likely to pan out. In some instances, the divorce is not that bad. And the person who might be a little bit subject to alienation but hasn't done anything too bad, they might end up marrying somebody who then becomes the alienator. So and this parent step parent so, and very often it can be the, the it can be a female step parent who comes into a marriage with all of her own issues who wants to kind of eradicate the biological mum in order that she has her new husband entirely to herself and she can be the person that drives the alienation this happens a lot other times it can be grandparents it can be siblings. Hey folks, welcome back. I have another special guest today and we're talking about breaking the barriers of parental alienation, strategies for recognizing signs and restoring connections. And I am with Charlie McCready, who is a parental alienation support expert. Hi, Charlie. Hi, Karen. And thank you very much for having me here today. I am very excited about this conversation. It's such an important one. And so just to lay some groundwork, parental alienation is a deeply complex and emotionally charged issue where one parent influences the child to reject or fear the other parent. This process distresses the alienated parent who experiences profound loss and heartache. It also inflicts psychological harm on the child. Some are saying it's one of the worst forms of child abuse. The child caught in the crossfire of adult conflicts might develop issues with trust, guilt, 
and self-esteem and often carried these emotional scars into adulthood. The alienated parent, on the other hand, grapples with feelings of helplessness, grief and frustration, sometimes leading to severe emotional and mental health challenges. In severe cases, this form of emotional abuse can create long-lasting rifts affecting the child's ability to form healthy relationships in the future. So it's crucial for the alienated parent to adopt a a long-term perspective focused on healing and self-care. Healing oneself is not just a pathway to potentially rebuilding the relationship with the child. It's also essential for just leading a fulfilling life irrespective of the outcome of the efforts. And so this approach underscores the importance of patience, self-compassion, resilience, and the relentless pursuit of personal growth and emotional balance. This is not my wheelhouse. This is Charlie McCready's wheelhouse. And so he has himself been an alienated parent for over 20 years. Charlie has taken his pain and his experience and used it to fuel his passion to support other parents to navigate this emotional storm with more hope, more grace, and perseverance by providing invaluable insights and effective strategies. And so Charlie has a comprehensive nine-step program to navigate the challenges of parental alienation and rebuild relationships with your children. And he's going to be talking to us about what it looks like, how the child experiences it, and some tips and tools for how to handle this incredibly difficult situation if it is what you are facing. Charlie, so glad to have you with us today. Again, I'm delighted to be here, Karen, and thank you for such an eloquent introduction. Well, let's dive right in. We were talking offline that sometimes a parent estranges a child and sometimes Mm -hmm. a child is actually alienated. So what is the experience of the alienated child? With regards to estrangement versus alienation? In regard to alienation, yeah. So... I guess the the first thing is that a lot of these relations, well, the kid, first of all, is very conflicted. That's their first experience. They're caught in a situation whereby one parent is normally trying to hurt the other parent. And they're basically put into a battlefield situation. So they're put in the middle of two warring parents. It's often a fear-based relationship. So the child is trying to appease one parent who's putting them under a lot of pressure to not see the targeted parent. So the alienator, we'll just call the alienator, the person who's being alienated, we'll just call the target parent. So the child is being persuaded through negative narrative, through punishment, potentially of seeing that other individual. So if they can spend time with that person, they're going to be punished by the alienator. So there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of conflict going on. There's so many different aspects to this. Fear and conflict is the basis of the reason why they align with the parent who's trying to alienate them, because they know that the target parent basically is a kind, gentle person in the majority of instances and is going to be there for them. Their love is unconditional, whereas the alienator tends to do things. They might cut them off from that love and support. And so the child is is in this kind of very fearful place. 
So it almost sounds counterintuitive. You would think that if there was a safe parent, they would navigate to the safe parent where they would feel safe. You're saying they actually choose to stay with the parent that they're afraid of. Yes. So it's their way of protecting themselves from further punishment and also from, ironically, losing one parent. And of course, the result is they end up losing the other parent. But part of the complexity lies in the fact that there is what I will call pre-alienation. So the the alienating parents, and in my view, these are people who, they're not born, and people use narcissists as a way of describing them, but narcissistic or personality B type individuals, they're nurtured into becoming who they are as an alienating person. They're not born narcissistic. So I think of all the cases I've come across, which is literally into the hundreds, every single one of the alienators has gone through some kind of trauma themselves. And so they are coming from a place of insecurity. They're quite vulnerable people. They get easily triggered. A lot of them are also quite paranoid. And when you start getting to the end of your relationship with your alienating partner, they start taking actions against us very early on. So in my instance, that pre-alienation phase started about 10 years before we actually split up. In some instances, it can be a much shorter period, but very often it'll be months, if not years. I've got a bunch of questions, um, but on that particular thing that you just said, what does that look like? What is a subtle pre-alienating campaign look like? Yeah, so essentially, it's exactly that. It's very subtle. It's basically undermining the character and the authority and the desirability of the other parent. So it might be as subtle as, oh, I'll just use my instance as a good example. My ex would present me as somebody who is very mean with money, a.k.a. I was the person who was stopping us from going bankrupt. I wasn't dedicating my time to the kids, a.k.a. I was actually going off and earning a wage and keeping the ship on the rails, you know, keep, keeping the, the, the train on the rails. She would make associations with the things that I like to do in a negative way. So your your dad wants to go down and play tennis. Well, we don't like tennis. We like horses. So everything that I did had a negative connotation. Or also if I was trying to put down rules in the house, she would undermine my ability to do the rules or say to the kids, oh, you don't need to do that. You know, that's just your father. You know, you can do whatever you want. So then- if a parent is seeing their soon-to-be ex undercutting them, and I actually have a client right now who was describing that, a, a fella who mom was undercutting everything he was doing. So that is actually something to keep an eye on, to not brush under the rug, but to start noticing that this is an ongoing, I'm using the word campaign. Um, it, it is a campaign. Um, I guess the challenge is that most people won't realize that they've experienced this until after the event. Most parents take a period of time before they even recognize that they're suffering parental alienation because it's not something that we are educated about, that we hear much about. 
it also makes sense because it's like if you're the guy or gal who's out working and the other parent is criticizing you for that, it would be like if you're open minded, you might be like, yeah, you know, that it is true. I don't spend as much time with the kids as you. And I actually I don't know their teachers as well as you. And I haven't scheduled that many play dates. I could see where it could be like typically when you're in a high conflict marriage and you've been criticized so much if you're open-minded you're like well that actually that is true maybe he or she has a point so i could see where there would be a gray and some confusion in there too what they're also doing is they're actually encouraging the child to start aligning with them like way before you even think as a target parent we tend to be on our back foot because the alienators because of their insecurities and their vulnerabilities, they're very quick to start creating that negative narrative about us in order to start aligning the child with them. They're also going out and they're starting to say negative things to our friends. Right. And later on, they'll be saying negative things to the schools. They'll be trying to cut us off from understanding so that they will remove us from things like medical records. They will take us off doctor's lists so that we're slowly, completely extricated from the child's life. But it starts way before most people even imagine. How old were your children? So they would have been about four and six when this started. And it was all down to money. In, In my instance, it was all down to money. But typically, parents go through a range of different experiences as to why they go through pre alienation. There are some instances where a mum or dad, they've got their own insecurities and they really latch onto a child and that child becomes their partner almost rather than the person they're married to. Mm. There are some mums who latch onto their children from pretty much when they're babies and won't let their fathers anywhere near them. So I know you've been doing this for a while and pardon me for bouncing all over the place, but it just piqued my curiosity. In terms of your client base, how does it break down gender wise? So it's about 70% women and 30% men. So it's almost the opposite of how the population of alienation exists. And the numbers for this are really ropey. Uh, Are you saying that 70% of dads are, that more dads are alienated than moms? I'll say that my audience is also 70% women, 30% men. I've spoken to business um, consultants who have said their business is 70% women, 30% men. So I think that might be more about the fact that men are less likely to reach out for support, no matter what the support is, than women and not that that's yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just want to say that to the audience. Yeah. I wouldn't draw any conclusions based on that because no, no. I was going to go further and just say that that the statistics that are available, which I say you need to be careful with because they're not that reliable. But the numbers would seem to indicate anywhere between thirty percent to fifty percent of women being the people who are suffering from parental alienation versus somewhere between 50% to 70% of men being the population of people suffering, as opposed to the people doing the alienating. And this is, for the audience listening, there tends to be this polarization whereby 
a man who's experienced alienation at the hands of a woman has it in his head that it's only women who are alienators. There are a lot of social media groups out there that are very kind of men against women. And there are fewer sites, but there are sites out there, which is women against men. And I would, this is part of the problem because we need everybody to work together and recognize this is a non-gender, non-color, non-religion. This is happening to everybody. And if we want to address this problem and get it recognized by the psychologists, and the institutions, we've got to do it collectively. Because at the moment, we're doing our own divide and conquer. We're our own worst enemies. Yeah. And for those listening, as in every sector and category, human beings find a way to have conflict. And so there's definitely information out there about the fact that parental alienation is total BS and it's just abusive men using it to it's like there's all of these different stories and so and I think it's important that this I'm glad you brought it up because you know what what I've always said to my children is just because it's on Google doesn't mean it's true um and, and please 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 if you're listening to this and you're struggling be very very careful who you listen to, like psychology today, at least you're dealing with psychologists. Everybody's out there hanging a shingle. So this is such a tender and complex situation. Make sure you're vetting anybody that you're listening to so that you're getting good advice, because the last thing we want is for you to like now be in this terrible situation and then go in the wrong direction with somebody. Absolutely. I think you have to look at your own experience and then see how that compares with the narrative of of the people who are presenting themselves as experts, because we do go through a wide variety of experiences. And we, we were talking offline earlier, not everybody is going through parental alienation. Not everybody is going through domestic violence situations. But I think part of the challenge is because there is still a lot of confusion out there today for a parent who is experiencing parental alienation or something else, to some degree, we're left to work out ourselves what it is we're actually going through and then what is the best solution for us. And like you said, psychologists don't even know. It's almost like it's such a new and emerging um not that it's brand new. So I had told you, I had Dr. Robert Simon on. He's written a book on custody evaluation. He was on my Ultimate High Conflict Summit. And so he talked about child resist and refuse. And so many of my clients who are in high conflict, you're dealing with a high conflict personality who might be traumatized or have a disorder. And then the person who was attracted to them who might be traumatized or have a disorder or yeah. just be like all broken because of what's been happening. And and then in between that, you have a kid. And so there's a lot of different things that that child might be going through and trying to find like it's safe haven. And to your point earlier, they may be picking a safe haven that's not very safe. Um, And I would like you to talk a little bit about that concept that a child would choose the parent who's putting down the other parent and being manipulative and maybe even being punitive if that child loves the alienated, the target parent. Can you talk a little bit about 
that scenario. And it just seems so counterintuitive that the child would choose to be with the scarier or more manipulative parent. Joe and their spouse always seemed to be fighting, but nothing was ever resolved. Their spouse would constantly blame them, unwilling to take any responsibility. Joe lived in the tension of walking on eggshells, doubting themselves, and over time, they became unhinged, angry, and triggered, struggling further with shame and self-condemnation. Their reactivity was used as proof that they were the problem. If you're in a relationship or marriage filled with conflict and blame, and you're wondering, is this normal or could it be toxic? Take the quiz and find out how toxic your relationship is. Go to journeybeyonddivorce.com backslash toxic quiz and find out today. child is doing is they're basically protecting themselves so the person who's trying to alienate them is very likely to make their life difficult because the alienator wants to manipulate and control the child so they will do things like if the child doesn't do what they say they'll bring out an array of techniques to make life difficult for the child say you're a teenager because that's the ages that a lot of this happens that you know the relationship the marriage is getting, has been in existence for a while. The partners are getting bored of each other. Strains are showing. It's not always teens. Often it's much earlier as well. But teens is a great example because these are people who are already going through a traumatic time in their life. Their body's changing. They're suddenly yeah. having to be an adult. They're really sensitive about everything. And then you have an alienator coming in who's saying, unless you do what I say, I'm not going to let you see your friends. Or they'll embarrass them in front of their friends. Or they'll put punishments on them. But the alienators also do, they have other techniques as well. They don't just punish children. They can also be very relaxed with things like boundaries. So it can be kind of the wild west of like, well, I can do whatever I want in my dad's house or my mum's house. So the, yeah. the people who are alienators, they tend not to be parents. Now, and when I say parents, they're not so focused on, is my child going to school? Are they getting the right grades? Are they wearing clean clothes? Are they eating the right food? Are they growing up with the right values? The, the alienators tend to be more focused on themselves, which makes them more of a friend to the child than an actual parent. So... On the one hand, you've got somebody who is letting you drink alcohol, smoke pot, skip school, play video games till the middle of the night, and in fact encourages you to do some of these things. Doesn't matter when you come home, doesn't matter who you see. But on the other hand, if you do something that irritates them, then they're going to come down hard on you. And they're going, you know, if, if when I say irritates them, if you want to have a relationship with the other parent, that's the core irritant for them. And that's where they'll start punishing you. And, and you can see how this works with kids that when they're, that they're very aware that 
the alienating parent is going to punish them. So a lot of us who, who are target parents, if we're trying to communicate with our kids, for instance, sending them texts, you'll often find that the, the child will receive the text but won't answer it. So this is the fear thing again. So the kid's receiving the text and they're thinking, well, I actually want to receive the text from my mom or my dad because that is me and them having a little bit of communication. It's them showing that they still love me. It's showing that they still care. It might be the only form of communication relationship that they have is just receiving those texts. But also they can say to the alienating parent, well, I can't control what mom or dad does. They're sending me texts. But a lot of those kids in more severe instances won't respond to the texts because then they feel that they're crossing a line and that this is then going to get into trouble. Yeah. And breaking loyalty. I could totally hear how if that's the if that's the messaging. And so you're yeah. saying something interesting. You're saying that the alienating parent might be the more permissive parent in many ways. You know, you can stay up late, you can drink, you can hang out with your friends. Are there situations where it's actually quite the opposite, where the alienating parent who's so controlling is very um, authoritarian with the children? Uh, Absolutely. Yes. But it tends to be for things that are convenient for them. So they'll control the kids because they want law and order in their home because it's convenient for them. Equally, they don't control the kids because it's convenient for them. There's a term called parentification, which is also very relevant to all of this. So quite often, an alienating parent starts changing the way that they treat the child as part of the campaign to undermine the relationship with the target parent. So what they will do is they will start empowering that child. So they will treat them more like an adult, even when the child is like 8, 9, 10, 11 years old, but they'll start treating them more like somebody who is much, much older. They'll start giving them the power of choice, but they don't give them options. So they say, oh, well, you can decide if you're going to go and see mum, or you can decide when you see dad. But then they control the options that the child, or they control the choice that the child makes. They don't actually give them the option of really seeing the parent. They give them this false choice. And it puts the kid under tremendous pressure to go along with what it is they know that the alienator wants, because if they don't appease them, then they risk punishment. But it also change the relationship between a child, not just between the child and the alienating adult, but the child and all the adults, including the other parent. Because the child, that part of the parentification process, if you have a situation where they're not parents, a lot of these alienates are not very good at running households or being a parent. And the kids end up parenting their own parent. So I'll just take a backward step. A lot of the target parents spend a good proportion of their time whilst they're still in the relationship with the alienator in what I call the regulator role. So they are the primary peacekeeper in the house because a lot of the alienators, they they can be quite volatile. They can be quite angry. They're trying to control, manipulate. they're, They're insecure people. And so we end up stepping into the role of just keeping everything calm, protecting the kids, making sure it's a nice environment to be in. And as we step out of that role, because the relationship with our alienating ex has come to an end, 
what happens is the kids end up stepping into that role. Right. Right. And very often it'll be one of the kids. So it might be the oldest or it might be a favoured child who then becomes the, the primary person, the, the key friend for the alienator. So the, the, this child is suddenly being involved in legal matters, money matters, what's happening in a divorce. They're being asked to make choices. They become the yep. mum or the dad of the house. Yep. Um, so they're massively empowered and they're getting a lot of the time the alienators are also because they're not great parents often won't give that much attention to the child support and love and then suddenly this child is getting all that attention from that parent the thing that they've been wanting for years and yep. years and years you know there's a lot of different factors that contribute towards a child aligning with a parent apart from the, the, the fear and conflict. Yeah. And as you're speaking, it's like the making of a codependent, the making of a high conflict individual. That's the heartbreaking part and the danger. There's so much trauma there and there's so much mental unhealth there that those children are just growing up with such a boatload of issues I know we could go on and on and on about the problem. So for you guys listening, charliemccready.com, you can find it in the show notes. So you can read more. He's got a blog and other information on what you're experiencing, what the children are experiencing. But Charlie, let's move a little bit to you're describing my client's soon to be ex. Just I don't. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not calling anyone a narcissist, but they're high conflict personalities. They're traumatized or they've got mental health issues. They've got a very short fuse. They either implode and go into the cave and it's silent treatment or they explode and they can be really volatile. Um, So this is the personality that our listeners are divorcing and that some of them are struggling with what look like signs of parental alienation. Let's talk first about what the parent needs to do, that whole concept of first put on the oxygen mask before you take care of your kid if the plane's going down. What is a a parent who feels like uh, this feels really wrong and not only is my soon-to-be ex alienating me from my kid, My attorney doesn't understand it. The psychologist doesn't understand it. The judge doesn't understand it. People are making decisions that seem utterly counter to what would be better for my child and certainly for my relationship with my child. So it's not just the mom or dad. It's the entire bloody system that is so broken. So what does that parent do to build themselves up for uh, the marathon that they're facing. I think you have to look at it like a journey and it's got fairly predictable different phases. And I, I should also say that I call everybody's experience uniquely similar. So everybody is unique. You're unique, your ex is unique, your kids are unique. That the whole environment that you've been brought up in is unique. But you will go through broadly the same stuff. As other people, and and it's a bit like we're all on a range on a spectrum. And and what I do is I pick out the different parts of the spectrum that you're on and put it all together and say, okay, in these sorts of scenarios, this is what you can expect. But as a journey, so you're probably going to experience pre-alienation. When does alienation start? It's not always at divorce. 
there are different triggers that take place. And so you have to be aware of who you're dealing with and how things are likely to pan out. In some instances, the divorce is not that bad. And the person who might be a little bit subject to alienation but hasn't done anything too bad, they might end up marrying somebody who then becomes the alienator. So and step parent. Step parent. So and very often it can be the the it can be a female step parent who comes into a marriage with all of her own issues, who wants to kind of eradicate the biological mum in order that she has her new husband entirely to herself. And she can be the person that drives the alienation. This happens a lot. Other times, it can be grandparents. It can be siblings. But I'll just come back to your classical alienation is that the journey is coming up to divorce. First of all, your alienating partner has got to a point as of you that they've probably had enough of you. So they're saying to themselves, at some stage, I'm not going to be with this person any longer, which is when the kind of the pre-alienation starts because they're, they're thinking, I, I don't have purpose for my partner going forwards and it's all going to come to an end. So I'm going to start preparing myself for that. And they might be doing that a long time before we realize that they're preparing for that. Then you come to the key triggers and most alienations have got the same key triggers. So the first one is anything to do with legal matters because they feel very insecure and vulnerable. They don't know what the outcome is going to be, and they do not like going in front of judges. But also, they don't like mediators, because they're very difficult people to compromise with. They typically ask for things that are unreasonable, and then you end up having to go to a judge, because unless you're prepared to give away far too much, you have to have somebody independent who's going to make a decision. So anything to do with the law is is a problem for them money tends to be a really big issue for them. Again, this plays to their insecurity and vulnerability. They feel a great need to want to control money. And also they want to punish you by giving you as little as possible. The third one is anything to do with your relationship with somebody else. They are happy to get into relationships with new people themselves, and that's okay but if you get into a relationship with somebody else, they then feel threatened that this new person is maybe going to have a good relationship with your kid. How is that new person going to fit with, it makes them feel again insecure and vulnerable that maybe that new person will replace them as being a great dad. They also get really worried about you having a good relationship with your kid. So because they're trying for you not to have a good relationship with your kid. If you press certain triggers, you're always going to have problems with the alienator. So the other one is obviously the breakdown in your relationship. So when your relationship breaks apart, legal, money, your relationship with somebody else, your relationship with your kids, those are times that the alienator is going to feel upset. And their typical response is they take it out on the kids. So think hard and fast about whether or not you want to take an alienator to court, because unless you think you can win, you're probably just creating additional problems for yourself.
I'm going to slow you down here, though, because now you're treading into my area and you said it earlier, the vast majority of you're you're not describing a garden variety divorce. You're describing a high conflict divorce with somebody who cannot communicate, collaborate, who isn't transparent. Um, So I hear you saying think long and hard, and yet it's almost like there aren't other paths. If you go to mediation or collaboration, you're going to bend yourself into a pretzel and give almost everything away, which may be your choice. But so I think that we just have to be careful about how we speak about that. And I do feel like you are describing in everything, in all the triggers, those are the triggers when you're in a high conflict situation because you have a person who be it trauma, insecurity, or what have you, they have a very short fuse. They have very little emotional intelligence. They cannot see their part in it because they're so reactive. And I'm hearing that. So we're dealing with the same audience of people removing themselves or being removed from those marriages, except in your case, what you focus on is really that smaller percentage that actually deals with the alienation. I want to bring you back to the question, if I could, Charlie. So because we could go on about this, which is also very heavy and heartbreaking. I think the first thing you're doing is saying be aware of the triggers, maybe avoid the triggers if you can. I think it's more a case of on that journey, you're going to go through some of these things, whether or not you want to. You are going to break up in your relationship. You are going to get divorced and you're probably going to go to court. You are going to have to settle all your money matters. Right. Those are givens. And and when that's all happening, your life is going to be so much harder, as will your kids, because this is high stress times for the alienators. So then let's talk about, so here I am, I'm not only going through a high conflict divorce, but now I'm in danger of losing contact with my kid. What do I do to take care of myself? What is What are the top three vital self-care recommendations that you make? You've been listening to our podcast, Getting Educated, Regulating Your Emotional Reactions, and it's been really helpful. Yet you know you could do better, be better, and you're wanting and needing more support. That's where our coaching service is a game changer. We're here for you when you need us the most, ensuring you have all the tools and resources at your fingertips, guiding and supporting you to be more effective. Our free rapid relief call helps you gain a broader perspective, commit to your best next steps, and determine what coaching support is right for you. Visit rapidreliefcall.com to book your call today. thing you need to do is as a parent you need to understand alienation because most of us arrive in that space and we don't actually understand the complexity and it it just melts our brains so if you can understand it it will help you to navigate it 
but it also it'll help you to heal because we end up in a very distraught space very quickly. So that leads on to the second point. You have to heal yourself. Before you go to that, given that this is, I know it's not new and yet it's new and it's growing at such a rapid pace. Mm-hmm. You, is there a book or a podcast or something that you you hold in high esteem that you would recommend? Obviously, people should check out your website, but beyond that. So th- th- this is the biggest challenge to any parent. So I'm going to give you a slightly different three things just for one moment. If back to the first one, you need to understand what alienation is. And there are lots of great experts and resources to help you with that. But it tends to focus on what the kids are going through, which is great. The second big challenge is the person who's doing the alienating. Because the these people, they tend to have, you know, type B personalities, very narcissistic. There's a lot of great resources about those sorts of people, not necessarily put in the context of alienating a child. And then the third one is you, because you have to deal with this trauma that's going on within yourself. And so there are lots of great resources about you, not necessarily related to parental alienation. And this is the bit that's missing. There aren't many places where those three things are tied together and the links between them are made obvious and simple for somebody to navigate. And that's basically what I do is I help parents to step through this very complicated world, understanding all the links between them so that you can deal with what's going on with your kids. You learn how to better deal with the alienators and you heal yourself. Those are the three biggies. Okay. Education, which should always be first. So really educate yourself on what parental alienation is all about and what your kid is going through um, about who these alienating personalities are and how to navigate them. And then, of course, the self-care. Let's talk about some do's and don'ts, just a top level, a handful of do's and don'ts, because I have, to the degree that we've coached people around this and seen how things can blow up. I think it's really, especially the don'ts, I think it's really vital that you share your key ones because it's going to be really helpful for everybody. I'm going to go back slightly and then come back to your don'ts. You said earlier, you need to put the oxygen mask on first before you can help the kids. That is a critical part of being able to deal with an alienated kid. You have to put yourself into your child's shoes, see the world through their eyes. And what happens is if you're not healed, you're going to get triggered. The child will say something. And as soon as you get triggered, you're now worrying about your mental and emotional state. And you've taken your eye off the ball, which is your kid's mental and emotional state. So these things are really interwoven. So one of the things that we feel is this great sense of injustice. So guess what? We want to tell the kid, you're being alienated, you're being brainwashed. This is not true. I'm not that person. Don't, 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 don't. You've got a simple choice as a parent. You can either try to correct the injustice or you can have a relationship with your kid. 
You don't get to do the two of them. And this is one of the biggest mistakes that parents make. And this is where estrangement comes in. So the kid is with the alienated. The alienated is saying all this really bad stuff about you. The kids are already a bit nervous about being with you because they're going to get punished for being with you. Then they do spend time with you and you're laying into them as well about trying to correct the, the story. And you just, I'm sorry, but as a parent, you have to soak up a certain amount of this stuff. And I talk about being role models. You have to tackle your child's needs in different ways. You can, if you demonstrate by your actions, you're not the person that the alienator is claiming you to be, then that will do a lot of the correction of the injustice for you. So to never talk about alienation, I'm talking about potentially ever in the kid's life. If the child ever wants to talk about it, that is them building trust with you. That is not your opportunity to jump down their throat and get rid of all this stuff that you've been feeling so frustrated about for years. And th this is one of the biggest mistakes that parents make, especially yeah. when they're severe. So, so severely alienated child who has lost contact with a parent, the child has cut that parent off, and maybe years later decides to put a toe in the water reaches out to that parent and says, let's get together for a coffee or let's just have a chat. And we, as this pent up person, have said, oh, thank God they've turned the corner. I've been waiting five years, six years, 10 years, whatever this period is, they're going to see my perspective at last. And so this poor kid who's trying to build the trust sticks a toe in the water and we hit them with this tsunami of our emotional issues and so that's why you have to be healed. You you can't help rebuild that relationship yeah. Yeah. if you're coming at it from your perspective. What that kid needs is, and, and it's not just when they've lost contact, it's even when they do have contact with you, you constantly have to be saying, okay, what do they need from me? Okay, they need me to listen to them. They need me to be seeing things from their perspective. They need me to be very empathetic, very patient. And it, I say to parents, you've got a tongue for two reasons. One is to help you communicate. And the other is to give you something to bite down on when you need to shut up. <laughs> I like that. I say two ears, one mouth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Listen but, but I, that's so important. And I think it's that without the healing, you're displacing, right? Go talk to your therapist, your coach, your guy friend, a girlfriend about all your frustrations. And that whole it's not fair can feel like it's choking you. It's like, oh, my God, it's not fair. I can't believe yeah. my kid has been stolen. But to then take all that it's not fair and throw it at the kid who's been put in the middle, even if that kid is in their 20s or 30s or whatever, that's such a good point. Some other big do's and don'ts, because it's, this stuff is really counterintuitive. And again, it comes back to the relationship between you and your kid. Do not be the sad, depressed parent, because we do. We have this crazy idea in our heads, because we don't see our kids, that unless we show them that we're sad and we miss them and we're all really gloomy, that they somehow won't understand that, that we still love them. And, and what we're doing is we're guilt tripping our kids. So, th so this is a kid who at some level understands 
that they are aligned and enmeshed with the alienator. They know that we're suffering to some degree because they're not seeing us and because they're not responding to us and they've cut off their love from us. So what do we do? We show them this sad, depressed person and the kids are going, whoa, I don't want to be dealing with that because like, now you're making me feel really, really bad. And it's a bit like we say, oh, I miss you. Don't. Do not say I miss you. Say I love you. Say I'm thinking of you. I'm proud of you. Don't say I miss you. You guilt trip them. And guess what? When you guilt trip them, kids don't want to be with you. So as a parent, you have to, it's counterintuitive for you as well. You have to be the confident, strong, outgoing, life embracing, all the things you don't feel like you want to be at that point in time. That's who you have to be. And this is actually, this is quite helpful for us as parents because part of our healing is us giving ourselves permission to start getting back into a better space again. And we feel, how can I be life embracing when this, all this stuff is happening to my kid and my relationship, my kid is being destroyed and this could be going on for years and we feel terrible. And every bone and every fiber in our body is going, I, I can't, I'm never going to be happy again. And, and part of that is like, you have to be happy. You have to give yourself permission. We feel guilt. So very specifically, there are emotions that we go through, which are unique to parental alienation. So there's grief, but it's open-ended. It's like a living bereavement. It's very similar to death in many other ways, but it is unique. We feel guilt because we always blame ourselves because the alienators feel so bad. Oh, I should have done this more and I should have done that more. Reality is we've done about as much as we could. For women, you feel shame because people turn around and say, well, you're the mum. How come you don't have your kids? And it's like, no, this is all on the alienator. There's the injustice. And just a quick word on the injustice is not something that we all have the same experience of. Injustice is nearly always related to some unique experience that we've had in our past of something that wasn't right. It might have been a sibling was a favorite or we got treated badly at school. And guess what? That negative emotion from our past is carried all the way into our adult life. And it pops back up when we're going through alienation because it's like, well, this is unjust. But actually, we're all talking about completely different things. Then there's also isolation because nobody else knows about this. You can't turn to your family. You can't turn to your friends. You can't even turn to most of the professional services because they don't understand it. So as you said, the judges don't understand it. The lawyers don't understand it. The social services don't understand it. CPS. The therapists don't understand it. So who do you go to for help? So you get this great sense of isolation. And then you've got anxiety. And then you've got worry about what's happening with my kid. How's this going to affect them? Are they okay? I can't contact them. I'm being cut out of their life. And then the whole fear thing builds in. As parents, as a targeted parent, and it's just a mess. And it affects every aspect of your life. And, and you have to get to grips with, with all these different components of your emotional state and rebuild it. Yeah. And, and there is hope. You can absolutely do this. And even within a few weeks, nearly, nearly all the parents that I work with, even within two to four weeks, 
they're starting to think differently. They're starting to see what's going on differently. They're starting to understand who the alienators are. They're starting to understand the alienators are not the powerful people that they think they are. They're starting to understand what their kids are going through. They're learning to look beyond the behaviors that their children are exhibiting. A child that's not speaking to you is a child who's in fear. It's not because they don't want to have the relationship with you. It's because they haven't got permission to have the relationship with you, and they're going to be punished if they do. This is really, Charlie, this is great, and this is so incredibly helpful. There's a lot in there. I know we're just scratching the surface here, but let's do this. Let's tell our listeners a little bit about your nine-step program and how they can reach you before we wrap up. Absolutely. So basically what I do is I make the complex simple. And what the nine-step program does is it starts by looking at you as the parent, because who is the version of you that you're bringing into this experience called parental alienation? So I get parents to, to benchmark where they are in terms of kind of their emotional state and I ask them to focus on what I call triggers and blockers. And I want them to become conscious thinkers because everybody's on, operating on autopilot. Yeah. So what is it that is actually upsetting you about the situation that you're in? Because once we know what that is, we can then start dealing with that. Start working on that in the first instance. I give them some tools and techniques as to how not to get triggered, how to understand the alienator, how to start dealing with the alienators. But the big emphasis is around you and your kid. What is your kid going through? You need to understand their perspective because once you can rationalize what they're going through, you can start helping them. Right. You also need to look at things like your parenting style because it's the version of us we're bringing into this experiencing. We have all sorts of expectations about what we want from our kids. And when we go through alienation, we lose a lot of that power. That's very frustrating for us. So we have to change our parenting style. We have to shift from being a parent to a coach. So I I help people to understand which version of themselves they're bringing to the party and what their real issues are. Wow. Most, Most of it comes from their past, and it's all bubbling back up to the surface. Understanding what's going on with your kids and then I put the two things together and say, okay, so what are the things that you actually want to change? And here are the tools that will help you to bring those changes about. Most importantly, you have to, I call it the mental gym. You have to get into the mental gym and you have to stay there. You said at the very beginning, this is a long-term scenario. So as I say to every parent, buckle up because you're going to be doing this for some time yet to come. And start making this a priority in your life. Because once I help them to get clarity on what they need to change about themselves, what they can do to help their kids, what they can do to help improve the situation with the alienators. But it's a moving feast that it's not like static. You have to keep revisiting it. And I encourage everybody, I say, look, you need to start get used to the idea of sitting down Spend some time at least every month, ideally when you're starting every week, and say, okay, what's changed? What do I need to do next? And also for the alienators, these guys are so far ahead of us. 
they're typically, we're always in reaction mode. As I say, they start the pre-alienation way before we're aware of it. They go off and poison all of our friends way before we're aware of it. They go and poison the schools. They poison the dogs. They poison everybody. It's a chess game. We're always responding to their moves. Don't get ahead of them. We need to start thinking three, six, 12 months ahead. We need to start thinking a couple of years ahead. The final thing I would say about the program is it's mindset. Where we get very caught up is this, I call it the emotional roller coaster, where we're dealing with all of those different emotions. We're put on that emotional roller coaster by the alienator. The crazy thing is we then start self-perpetuating and staying on that ride ourselves. Yep. So the only person who's going to get you off is you. So I'm like the station master on the roller coaster. Hey, there's a platform here. You can get off now and you won't. <laughs> You carry on going around for another couple of weeks and I keep saying, hey, it's a platform here. It's a cage with an open door and you just have to walk through that open door, stop torturing yourself. And when you do, the, the your power comes back, your ability, to, what I get you to do is to shift from constantly focusing on all these negative emotions and to focus on something different. And I make the analogy of, it's like a damp spot on a wall. The damn spot is the alienation, and it's the thing you see about, and it's the thing you worry about. And I teach you how to put some whitewash on it, but it's going to come back. You know, so after a couple of weeks, damn spot, it won't be as bad as the first time, but it's going to be there, and you're going to put some more whitewash on it, and it's going to come back, and you're going to keep putting whitewash on it. And basically what you're doing is you're shifting your focus from all this negative stuff that you've been trapped in on that emotional roller coaster to, where do I want to be? What am I going to do for my kids? What do I want my new life to be? Yeah, yeah. You've been dropped from a thousand foot and you've smashed onto the ground. You do not have a choice but to reinvent yourself. So start doing it and turn it into something positive for you. I love your program. I love everything that you're saying, Charlie. I think that my audience, as well as yours, like the key that I'm hearing is until you step out of resistance and start accepting that this is your plate, that you have to pull up your big girl panties, your big boy bootstraps, and you just need to suck it up, which sucks, but it's your only choice. You got to suck it up. You got to start working on your mindset. You got to work on your past triggers. You have to choose to say it's unfair. Yes. And it still is. And then begin the hard work. And that hard work I'm hearing requires the three words that came to mind while you were speaking are resilience, tenacity, perseverance, that you're in it for the long game. You can gain back a relationship with your child, but it's going to start with you doing a lot of hard work on a regular basis. I I think that is the key thing for the parents who do have contact with their kids. Mm-hmm. You've got something you can work with immediately. So as in you've got a child, they're in contact with you. You can learn about alienation. You can start employing all the techniques. For the parents who don't have contact with their kids, heal yourself today. Mm-hmm. Learn about alienation so you're ready for when they do reach out. Because the big, another big mistake, parents think, oh, when my kid reaches out, I'll then go off and learn about this stuff. No, too late. You blow, you, The chances are you won't know what to do yeah. When your kid reaches out. So you have to do it now. Yeah. And again, it's, it's counterintuitive. But the other thing is you heal today rather than waiting for five years. I'll heal when my kid reaches out to me. Oh, 
No, be kind to yourself. You're a good person. Yeah. We're all lovely people. We're all really great mums and dads. Give yourself permission. Go heal. Get your life back. Yeah, I, I have to be honest. I have a family member and she's got a young adult. She's got a number of children, but she has one young adult child who has been alienated for some time. And I am going to encourage her to reach out and chat with you. I really like what you said. I really like the program. And for all of you, like we said in the beginning, there's a lot of content out there. Charlie's been doing this a long time. He's walked the walk. He's talked the talk. He's helped many, many people reach out, have a conversation, check out his program, get educated on his site. Charlie, thank you so much for what you're doing in the world. And can I ask, you have two children. How is your relationship with them now? Oh, yeah, children. They're 31 and 29. Adult Um, children. They're adult children. So they both have very different experiences. So my older daughter had less alienation because she went off to university. I had the opportunity to rebuild that relationship earlier on. And we talk a little bit about alienation at this point in time. But again, I'm doing it very sensitively. And it's about her healing, not mine. Yep. And and my young daughter, she had a greater exposure to alienation. So she's been more affected by it. And she's not as advanced on that kind of um, healing journey at this point in time. But they both live abroad. Personally, I think they've done that because that's kind of the easiest way to get off the battlefields is go and remove yourself completely. And it gets rid of Christmases and all these other things that are tension points. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I speak with both of them every couple of weeks. I've, I've had visits from them. I go and visit them as well. So I think I've got a good relationship with both of them. But it's an ongoing journey of healing. And for me as well, I'm constantly picking myself up and saying, occasionally I get angry at that stuff. And I go, no, no. And just be calm, be happy, focus on the good. Yeah. And look at how many people you're helping as a result of your own pain. And so it's just beautiful. You know what I'm doing. That's Mm -hmm. the most important point that they, they both, they're both aware. Yeah, it's cool. And it's nice to give back to society It's nice to do something in service. I do need to make a living, but I'd much rather do this than what I was doing previously. Amen. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Charlie, thank you so much for coming and sharing uh, your insights, your wisdom, your tools, your do's and don'ts. So valuable. And folks, please reach out and learn more and start this healing journey. And thank you so much, Karen. You're very welcome. And we'll be back again real soon with our next episode. You stay tuned. Are you ready to break free from your mundane midlife? Are you feeling trapped in a vicious cycle of rinse and repeat days? No matter if you're experiencing a divorce hangover, job burnout, or you just have the midlife blues, I got you. Hey, I'm Wendy Valentine, host of the Midlife Makeover Show. Tune into my podcast where we talk about all things midlife. You'll learn how to achieve a vibrant midlife mind and body, how to create solid relationships through love and loss, and how to create an awesome second half of life. Just go to themidlifemakeovershow.com and join the midlife party.
Thanks for joining us on the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast. I hope you found guidance and encouragement to help you along your journey. If you like my podcast, please take a minute to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. You can also visit us at jbddivorcesupport.com, where our team of coaches support both men and women through our one-on-one coaching, group programs, online courses, and free resources. Stay tuned for our next episode, and I'll talk to you soon.